Welcome to Thoughts from Home, your conservation podcast from the National Conservation Training Center. We're located along the Potomac River in historic Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and are home to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Jim Siegel. I'm the Ecology Curriculum Manager at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's National Conservation Training Center. And today, we're going to be talking about bald eagles. And I'm joined with an old friend, Randy Robinson, who's an Education and Outreach Coordinator at NCTC. And today, Randy and I are going to be talking about the bald eagle and the Endangered Species Act and some of the wonderful successes of the act. Randy, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing today. Well, Jim, it's National Eagle Day here. It's June 20th, 2023, and it's also the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act that's really helped out the bald eagle over these years. Along with that, it's the 20th anniversary of our nest here at the National Conservation Training Center. So let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the bald eagle in North America, Jim. The bald eagle has a a really remarkable history in our country. In the 1700s, it was estimated between 300 to 500,000 bald eagles in North America. But by the 1950s, partially because of illegal shooting, but also because of DDT, a well-known pesticide, the population had shrunk to only 500 nesting pairs in the lower 48. And predominantly, the DDT was a, a problem because it affected the egg metabolism of reproducing eagles. That is, they could only lay eggs that were so fragile that when the eagles sat on their eggs, they often cracked in the nest. And of course, that meant that there was no hatchlings, often for decades at a time. A lot of that early research on DDT took place at the Patuxent Research Center uh, between Baltimore and D.C. And a very interesting story. Now, During World War II, of course, DDT was used a lot, and people argue that helped us win World War II, which you could say, but it unknown at the time was the bad effect it was having on not just bald eagles, but peregrine falcons and brown pelicans and an osprey, like you say, making their eggshells thin. Do you know the story of how they determined that it was DDT doing it? Well, there were a number of researchers who were looking into why a number of different kinds of wildlife were being affected by DDT and other pesticides. And Rachel Carson, who published Silent Spring in the early 60s, really showed this as a major problem. But there were researchers who were actually looking at the eggshells and testing these eggs for the presence of DDT in the tissues. And so they very, very quickly determined that that was the cause of the problem. And it has an interesting... History. So right off the bat, the bald eagle was considered endangered in, in the 1967 Endangered Species Act. But then the DDT was banned seven years later in 1972. And so as a result, almost immediately, eagles and other birds of prey and other birds as well, as the DDT declined, its use declined, the bird's ability to lay healthy eggs recovered. And along with that, we had the Endangered Species Act, as you mentioned, that came along. I think the bald eagle was declared endangered in 1978. 
through 2007 when they were delisted, so a period of about 29 years altogether. It was actually listed in the early Endangered Species Act as an endangered species in 67, and then the population started to grow over the next 20 years or so. And so by 1992, there was about 115,000 bald eagles in the lower 48. So by 1995, the birds were slightly delisted to threatened and no longer endangered. But by 2007, they were removed from the endangered species list altogether, considered fully recovered as a species. And here in the eastern panhandle of West Virginia and across the country, really, populations have been rising. It's been a true conservation success story. But along with DDT being banned and the Endangered Species Act, back in the early 70s, 1972, we also had the Clean Water Act. Rivers like the Potomac and other major rivers were badly polluted. And once they got cleaned up, fish started coming back in. And as we saw those rivers get cleaned up and the fish populations come up, and at the same time, bald eagle populations were rising because they had great food sources. Bald eagle, about 65% of their diet all year round is fish. During certain periods of time, they're almost eating fish 100% of the time. But over the course of their, over the entire year, about 65% of their diet is fish. And, you know, it's a, a terrific food source. And yes, as we've cleaned our rivers... We have healthy populations of fish and other aquatic animals, and it means good things for all these fish and other aquatic animal-feeding birds. So, Jim, what's going on with eagles in the United States today? Right. Well, the eagle population is amazingly, amazing recovery. We believe that there's about 300,000 eagles in the lower 48 states and another 30,000 eagles in the state of Alaska alone. Right. In terms of the lower 48 states, we have about 70,000 breeding pairs of eagles. 3,000 pairs of eagles in the Chesapeake area. The state of West Virginia has about 150 pairs of bald eagles. So the Chesapeake Bay population, we are sort of part of that. The state that has the most bald eagles right now is Minnesota. It has almost 10,000 breeding eagles alone. And the second state, I believe, is Florida, with about 1,500 breeding eagles. It's really inspiring to see a bald eagle in the wild, and hard to mistake them, the adults anyway. They've got the white head, the white tail feathers, big bird, of course. The juveniles are a little harder to determine if it's an eagle or uh, maybe another bird, because they don't get the white head and tail until they're about four to five years of age. But when I was a kid, I never saw a bald eagle in the wild. And today, when I go into a classroom and ask the students, how many of you have seen an eagle? And about half the kids put up their hands. So that's fantastic that we see them back in the wild. I've lived in West Virginia in Shepherdstown for on and off for about 30 years. And when I first moved here in 1992, there were very, very few eagles to be seen in this area. It was more common to see osprey and other birds of prey, and eagles were a rare sighting. Now you can see eagles fairly easily in the Shepherdstown area, Harper's Ferry area, and it's really a delight to see, be able to see them every day. 
Well, Jim, tell us a little bit about the work that went in by state agencies, federal agencies, NGOs, when the eagle populations were in such decline in the lower 48. I know they've brought in eagles from Alaska and Canada to repopulate. What do you know about that? Well, they put out eagles. In the beginning, they took eggs from successful nests in places where the DDT problem was was lowest. And they transplanted some of those eggs and put them under eagles who were trying to hatch eggs that were going to be damaged because they had DDT in their tissues. Some people also hacked a few eagles and peregrine falcons and a few other birds. And so they were able to get them started. Tell us what hacking means. Hacking means putting out birds in a hacking box, you know, like a nesting box, and feeding them until they're able to forage on their own. Right now, we're doing a lot of hacking of uh, California condors in the West. And so they are, they're kept in a box, in a cliff location or in a tree location. And when they are ready, they're fed in the box, then they're released and they're fed and they stay around the box. It's interesting to note that eagles are able to learn to fly and learn to feed all on their own. They don't need to have parents to be able to learn these very instinctual behaviors, not unlike a human baby can learn to walk, you know, without you forcing it to walk. Well, it's the 20th anniversary of our nest here at the National Conservation Training Center. Back in 2003, when they started building it, we got to see them do that in the fall. It was very interesting to see them build the nest stick by stick. And by the spring of 2004, they laid their first eggs. And it's been a productive nest over the years. We were looking at some numbers earlier. Over the 20-year span, there have been a total of 44 eggs laid and a total of 26 young birds or juvenile eagles that have fledged or flown from that nest. A little over 60% success rate, which is pretty good for uh, bald eagles in the wild. And some years we've had three eggs laid and three young ones fledge. Other years, it's been zero eggs have been laid. We had five years where we had no fledging birds, but other years made up for it. So those other 15 years, uh, we've had two and three and sometimes one. This year, we had one bird, two eggs laid, but one young eagle fledged just last week. It took off, and we see it now and then today. I would say that this nest is very productive, considering that on five years out of the 20, no birds fledged at all. That means that every year, on average, 1.7 birds, nearly two birds, have been fledged in this nest every year, which is, I think, a remarkable amount. And it shows you not only the health of the Potomac River in terms of fish and other animals for the birds to prey on, but it just means that our location, we haven't disturbed them, they've been protected from disturbance, and They've been very hardy and strong here. And it's interesting to note that they've been using this nest for about 20 years. It is not the original birds that are now in that nest. And Randy can tell us a little bit about some of the changes that have happened over that 20-year period. Well, we have seen a lot of competition among birds and kind of good news, bad news with the population rising. That's the good news. A little bit bad news, in, in a sense, is that there's more competition for prime nesting territory. And this is a beautiful sycamore tree, 100 feet tall. We're in about over 500 acres of land along the Potomac River, so it's an ideal site. 
But so other eagles would like to come over. And now and then, actually almost every year for the at least the past five years, we've seen young birds come in. Not this year, but the year before, a young female, we believe, came in, tried to take over the nest. She did for about three weeks. Then she was chased away by the resident female. So when the young birds get to be about four to five years of age, they're looking for a territory and a mate and a nest of their own. And that's when we get the competition. And, and sometimes it gets, it gets pretty brutal. But the original pair that built the nest, we lost the male in 2011 and the female in uh, 2018. So the two birds that we have in here now, the two adults, have been good parents and raising productive birds, taking good care of the nest and so on. But um, it's very interesting, you know, to watch them. A lot of people around the country enjoy watching the Eagle Cam. We put the first camera up in the fall of 2005. So the spring of 2006 was the first year that we could witness them live on video online. And that was a year that they had three young ones and all three of them fledged. The following year was a kind of a bad winter, 2007. At that time, we didn't have any we had three eggs laid, but none fledged. But then in 2008, another good year, we had three eggs laid and three fledged. So over the years, it's been very interesting to watch. But if you like to look at the nest, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, outdoorchannel.com slash eaglecam. It's streamed by the Outdoor Channel. So the address is uh, outdoorchannel.com slash eaglecam. Or if you search for NCTC Eagle Cam or Shepherdstown, West Virginia Eagle Cam, you'll find it. And we leave it on year-round now because in the summertime, even though the young ones have fledged, every now and then we see them back at the nest. The young one kind of associates the nest with food, and the adults may bring a fish back there now and then. And sometimes we see a blue heron come in. Now that the eagles are not in the nest all the time, of course, when they're in the nest, they're very protective of the nest. They don't want any other big birds around. But when they're not, they're mostly down at the river through the summer months. We might see a, a great blue heron come in. We might see a turkey vulture. So it's kind of fun to see what's going on there. A couple of weeks ago, we had a goose check out the nest. It was looking for a nesting site 100 feet off the ground, which is unusual place for geese to nest. But That, that was funny. Yeah, I'd that, never seen that before. That was amazing. It was amazing. It's been a real eye-opener, I think, Randy and I have learned a lot from just looking at that nest. Almost every year we learn something new about their behavior and how they perform, all the different activities. It is amazing that when we have a lot of snow, those parents are going to sit on those eggs even when the snow totally covers them. So it's hard to believe that anything actually survive, but they are keeping those eggs warm even in 40 inches of snow. And you'd say, why do they even nest in the snow in the first place is because the eggs take 35 days to hatch and the young are going to be in the nest another 11 or 12 weeks. You can see that these birds are going to be trapped up in that nest for a long time. And so those young have to get out of the nest before the heat of the summer would really bake them in the nest and they're not going to be able to drink any free water. So all the moisture that they're going to be able to get will have to come from the fish and other wildlife that they eat. And you can see where this is a, a challenge for a lot of birds. They have to get out of the nest as quickly as they can 
partly in this case for drinking water reasons, but also for other reasons in terms of predation and other vulnerabilities from sitting in a nest. I'm always amazed at how fast they grow. Generally, we say here in this latitude, right around mid-February, Valentine's Day, the eggs are laid. 35, 38 days later, they hatch in mid-March. And when they come out of the shell, they're not even as big as your fist. And in, in 12 weeks, they're a full adult eagle size ready to fly from the nest. And almost every other day, you can see a change in the young birds as they grow. It's just incredible how fast they do grow. And a lot of people enjoy watching that online. And folks keep daily tabs on them and post videos and take photographs and post those. So we have a great online community that loves watching the eagles. And they're almost on there 24-7 pretty much during the nesting season. So that's a lot of fun. It's been interesting watching what the young are fed. Typically, they're fed, some of the most common things are different kinds of suckers that are running in the spring up the Potomac River to spawn, and so those are a very important food source. But they also eat ducklings, small geese. We've seen them eating snakes, turtles. Another kind of fish that we've seen are eels, catfish, a number of bass and sunfish, But I think typically, like we said, about 60-something percent of their diet appears to be fish. Often the young fish seems to be among the most important thing for them to eat. Small rabbits, squirrels. Sometimes we see a, a portion of a deer, which I don't think the eagle is killing an animal like that, but it's eating it from a carcass. The adults are scavengers, so they'll take advantage of anything that they can find. They're not particular But like Jim said, when the young ones are growing, fish is definitely their preferred food because it's high protein, lots of moisture. And uh, we see a lot of fish out of the Potomac brought into the nest here, and it's been a, a good source for these eagles. Well, Jim, we've got eagles, you know, on the rebound. Populations are coming up, but we've still got some continuing threats to eagles. Let's talk about those. We've got lead poisoning from lead shot, avian flu, wind turbines, electrical lines. Even bald eagles can get hit by cars and trucks when they're scavenging along a roadway. And some uh, habitat loss as well. Right. You know, one of the things that easily preventable is the whole problem of lead shot. The eagles often scavenge at carcasses of game animals, such as deer, that have been shot by hunting. And the gut piles that are often left behind have some lead shot in them. And when the eagles eat those carcasses, they ingest the shot. And only a few pellets can actually poison the eagle so that they may die. And I've seen some statistics that suggest that half the bald eagles, with even a tiny amount of shot, are a little bit poisoned by the presence of lead. So... One of the things that we can do as citizens of the United States is if we change the kinds of shot that we use in rifles and in guns to other kinds of shot that are not lead-based, that will be a good thing for eagles and other birds that might ingest shot. The lead is not helping these eagles recover. Discarded fishing line is another big problem. This year in Tennessee, we saw a couple young eagles get tangled up in Fishing monofilament fishing line is very strong, Im, pretty much impossible to break or cut without a knife. And and so something as simple as if you're out and about on a hike or you know going out for a day fishing with the family, if you find a discarded line, pick it up and dispose of it properly. Keep it uh, away from the wildlife. That benefits lots of wildlife, not just bald eagles. 
Rodenticides, uh, poisoning from uh, rat poison, that's another problem we find in wildlife. Right. You know, it's very common in the United States for people to poison rats and mice around their homes, around their farms. But it's interesting to note that those poisoned animals are often scavenged by birds and other animals. And so when we do that, the rodenticide enters the food chain. A lot of the pesticides that we use are very persistent. And so that's one of the threats. Like DDT in the 1950s today, rodenticides are often fairly common in the environment. And if we use less of them, that will be a very good thing for wildlife. Of course, wind turbines are dangerous to bald eagles. The tips of those turbines spin at 150 miles per hour. So any bird, not just bald eagles, but bats. And the, the wind industry and the electrical industry are, are doing research to try to prevent those and cite those properly. Uh, electrical lines, another issue, uh, especially in areas where there's uh, high populations of eagles, like Florida, for example. They will insulate areas of lines where, you know, that might be dangerous to birds. So, so those, uh, the companies are, are working on doing that as well. So those are just a few of, of course, in habitat loss, we mentioned, as more developments go up around the country, loss of habitat is, a, is another concern. You know, these eagles often nest in some of the largest trees in your area. So our nest here at NCTC is in a, a tree that's about 100 years old and about 100 feet tall. It's a huge sycamore tree. And those big, big trees that are about 100 years old are obviously, they're just not as common as they used to be. And so if we can make sure that our developments that are near rivers and lakes and near the bay, that we protect those big trees, the riparian area trees, that's very important for their habitat. So to wrap things up, Jim, I think we can uh, celebrate National Eagle Day uh, in a positive way here. The eagles are coming back. It's the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act, which has definitely been helpful for the bald eagles. And we can celebrate the 20th anniversary of our nest here. Again, you can see the nest uh, online at outdoorchannel.com slash eaglecam. That's the National Conservation Training Center Bald Eagles Nest. So we're just about out of time. Jim, thanks for joining me to talk about bald eagles today. Well, it was a pleasure being with you, Randy. Thank you for listening to the National Conservation Training Center podcast series. If you have feedback, thoughts, or stories you'd like to share, contact us at nctc underscore podcast at fws.gov.